Um, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're just going to be there a second, and then we're going to go to 1 Chronicles, and that may be a little harder for you to find, so I'm going to give you a minute. If you need to flip to the front of your Bible and find out what page it's on, that's good too. If you use your phone, it'll be easier. Uh, we'll have most of the verses on the screen this morning, starting in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and going to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And I'm excited to be continuing this series this morning that we've been doing on King David uh, out of 1 and 2 Samuel. And here in chapter 6, we see that, uh, as we learned last week, David has finally reached the throne. He is now the king of Israel, the uh, anointed king that God had Samuel to anoint when he was a very young man. And, and we saw all that he had to go through in order to get to this place in his life. The road is not always easy, but God is always good. Amen. And so David is now the, the king of Israel. But this week, instead of focusing in on David's life, and we'll get to a little more about that next week, there's someone else here in this part of the story that I, I want to look at that, that I find is very interesting. I've always found that very, he, he's a very interesting character in the story of David, and again, next week we'll be looking at it, uh, this chapter 6, we'll be looking at it uh, more in depth and in greater detail, but today I want to focus on a man that we're introduced to here in chapter 6, starting at verse 10 and 11. God's Word says this, it says, he, meaning he's talking about David, David was king now, David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, I'm going to say that a lot of you may not be very familiar with Obed-Edom. Uh, I know several years ago I did a Bible study on Wednesday nights on the life of David, and we talked about Obed-Edom in that Bible study, but he's not, he's not one of the top 20 characters that uh, you would probably think of when you think about characters from uh, God's Word. He's, uh, I've never I've been in a Sunday school class where uh, the uh, Sunday school lesson was on Obed-Edom, but I believe that this story is a fascinating story, and I also think that it's a very powerful story uh, that we're going to be looking at today. We're introduced here in 2 Samuel of David's story to this man, but there's not a whole lot more detail about him here in 2 Samuel. But if you flip over to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, uh, we do find out some more details about this man. And so I want to pick up our story this morning in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, uh, beginning at verse 14 this morning. 
The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. So basically, uh, the same information that we got in 2 Samuel, we have here in 1 Chronicles. But I, I feel like we need to unpack this a little bit to understand what's taking place here uh, in this context and in this place of Scripture. David, who we've been talking about, is the king of Israel now. And so David, after he became king, he wanted to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of God. Uh, It's known by different names in the Scripture. But he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, uh, back to uh, the Israelites who were the rightful owners. They were the ones that God uh, appointed to be the caretakers of uh, this Ark. They were the ones that had had built it and prepared it. And so David becomes king, and, and he wants to go and retrieve this Ark because what this Ark represented was, the presence of God, and not only the presence of God, but also the power of God is what this ark represented. But what had taken place is the Philistines, uh, who was the enemy of the Israelites, uh, they had overthrown and, and, and taken over Israel, and so they had taken over possession of uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and there's a, there's a story behind that, and, and we'll probably get to that next week. But they moved it, and it ended up in a place called Kerjath-Jerim. And it remained there uh, ever since Saul was the king. And in verse 5 in this chapter, we learn that King David has gathered the Israelites together. He's, he's got a big group and an army, and they're going to go, and they're going to get the ark, and they're going to bring the ark of the covenant back to its rightful place. But basically, uh, what takes place in this story, and we'll look at him next week as well, but basically a man gets killed while trying to transport the ark. Uh, It actually was about to fall off this cart that they uh, had made to transport it with, and he had reached up to keep it from falling, and he had been struck dead because the commandment was from God that no man was to touch this Ark of the Covenant, that it was to be carried a certain way and all this. But basically, a man gets killed while they're trying to move the Ark, and David gets mad at God about it. Not only is he mad at God about it, but he's about half scared of God about it. And so he decides, he says, you know what? This is not worth the trouble. Let's just drop it off at the next house that we come to. Let's leave it, and let's go back where we came from. And so they took it to the house of this man, called Obed-Edom. And, and I want you to think about Obed-Edom. Can you imagine how surprised he was when he got a knock at his door and he opens the door and the new king of Israel standing before him and all these Israelites are gathered out there in the front yard and they're carrying uh, this Ark of the Covenant on, the, on their wagon and, and they say, we're going to leave this here at your house. Uh, we're, we're, we want you to keep it. And the king proceeds to tell him that. And, and oh, by the way, if I were you, I wouldn't touch it, right? We're going to leave this here. But if I were you, I wouldn't touch it because it's not going to end well for you uh, if you do. And, I, and I'm sure Obed-Edom has said I'm, he's overwhelmed, right? 
He, he's overwhelmed with what's going on here just out of the blue. And you can't hardly tell the king no, can you? And so uh, they left this holy ark of the covenant at Obed-Edom's house. And that brings us to this scripture here in verse 14. The ark of God remained with Obed-Edom and his family in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and the Lord blessed everything he had. So what was so special about the ark when it was left at the home of Obed-Edom? That his entire house would receive a blessing. That his entire family would receive a blessing. Here's why the ark of the covenant, again, contained the very presence and the very power of God. And so the first thing that I want to point out from uh, this story this morning is this. The presence and the power of God changed Obed-Edom's home life. It changed his home life. The Bible clearly states here that his house and all that was in it was blessed because of the presence and the power of God there in his home. Now, does that mean that his life was perfect? I doubt it. I'm sure his wife ran up credit card bills when she went to Branson. I doubt his life was absolutely perfect. But it clearly states here that he was blessed. Amen? I mean, it clearly states that he was blessed. And I'm sure that he noticed that things had begun to change there in his home. His car probably ran a little better. His kids probably started cleaning their rooms. The fire ants in their yard probably moved over to the neighbor's yard, right? Uh, and, and I'm just kidding about that, but, but be sure and don't miss this. This blessing was the result of the presence and the power of God moving into his home and into his life. And here's the deal for you and me. If we have accepted Christ into our hearts, we now... Through the New Testament and what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. When we receive Jesus into our hearts, that means that we receive the presence of God in our life. We receive the power of God in our lives. And when we allow God to come into our lives, God will come into our homes with us if we take him there. Amen? When we allow God into our lives, we're going to take God into our homes and into our businesses and into our schools and everywhere that we go. And when He is in us, when he is, we have His presence and His power, He will bless us and He will change our lives. And friends, He will change your home. He will change your home without the power and without the presence of God in our lives and in our homes, what are we doing? We're living under our own power. We're living under our own presence, our own power and our own presence, not under his power and not under his presence. And we can, friends, I'm going to tell you, you can never find true happiness. You can never find true joy. You can never find peace and blessings without the blessing of the presence and the power of God in your life. We can't be the church that God wants us to be without the presence and the power of God in our church. 
You know, so often we think of the presence of God. We, we, we think of and, and speak of the power in God, uh, of God in our lives, but we actually never really live in that presence. We actually never really live in that power. We, we, we never invite him into our homes and, and, and into our businesses and into our schools and into our churches and receive the blessings that come from his presence and his power. The second thing uh, that we can learn from this story is this. The presence and the power of God changed Obed-Edom's priorities. It changed his priorities. One day there came another knock at his door. They came knocking on his door again. And, and we find it in chapter 15 if you want to flip over there. And they come knocking on uh, his door again. The Israelites have shown back up and now they want the ark back. Well, why do they want the ark back? Because they've been hearing stories about how God has blessed Obed-Edom's family for the last three months because the ark was there. And so now they've decided, hey, that's our ark. And, oh, by the way, in this three-month time, they've done a little research in how God said he wanted that ark transported. And so they come the right way this time. But they come wanting this ark back because they've heard about the blessing in Obed-Edom's home and family, and so they want that for themselves now because they are supposed to be the rightful owners of this. And I'm guessing that by now, Obed-Edom was probably as reluctant to give the ark back to them as he was to take it in the first place. Don't you imagine? I imagine now he's decided he wants to keep it around. But nonetheless, we see that David began to gather people there in First Chronicles, it tells us that some of you won't like this, but he began to build, he began to put together a praise band, all right, getting ready for its return, getting ready to worship the power and the presence of God. Look at chapter 15 there in verse 16. David told, I'm going to preach in a minute. I preach better with jeans on, amen? <laughs> David told the leaders there in verse 16, he told the leaders of the Levites, he said, appoint their brothers as singers to sing joyful songs. Joyful songs. Y'all, we're to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments. Whoop, there it is. Lyres, harps, and cymbals. Now, they've said, assemble a praise band. Get a team together to lead worship because we're getting the ark back and we were going to worship it like it's supposed to be worshiped. We're going to worship the presence and the power of God in our lives. Put together a praise band. Guess who shows up to audition for the praise band? This is so cool. It lists them there in verse 18. Look down at it. You'll see our friend's name again, Obed-Edom. He shows up to be in the band. Don't miss this. He had experienced the presence and the power of God and his blessings, right? He's experienced this. And so now, what, what's he doing? He, he wants to continue to be close to the power and the presence of God. He's experienced it in his life. And he says, I want to keep being a part of that. And so he signs up to be in the praise band. And then King David's needing some guys to be doorkeepers and, and, and ushers where the ark is going to be kept. Guess who volunteered to do it? Skip down there to verse 23 in your Bible. Some of you ain't got your Bible and you're lost as a goose. You need to bring your Bible to church. Guess who volunteered down in verse 23? We see it again. There's Obed-Edom volunteering again, Right? Hey, guys, you need an usher? You, you need someone to watch the door? Sign me up. I want to I volunteer. I'm your man. I should have preached this sermon next month, shouldn't I, Amanda? 
We're doing, a, we're doing a volunteer drive next month. This sermon needs to speak to some of y'all, and y'all need to share it on Facebook with somebody that's not here. Hello? Obed-Edom says, you need a usher. I'm your guy. Why? Because I want to be in the presence and the power of God. I want to be where he's at. I want to be where the blessing is at. I, I want to be a part of that. And then King David, he asked for people to be ministers when the ark was put back in the new tabernacle that they had built. And over in chapter 16, verse 4, look at that. Look at chapter 16, verse 4. Look at your Bible. Do you see that familiar name there? Find it. Anybody see it? Chapter 16, verse 4. Guess whose name shows up again? Obed-Edom, right? And finally, King David says, you know what? We need some gatekeepers. We need someone that will minister before the ark. And, you know, now it's, it's become a bigger deal, and we got more people, and this is going to be a full-time position. This is going to be an everyday deal. It's got to be done every day. And the Obed-Edom's like, every day? You want me to do this every day? Sign me up. I want, I'm in. I want to be in the presence and in the power of God every single day. And so he became a regular gatekeeper at the tabernacle. Don't miss this, friends. Obed-Edom totally allowed the power and the presence of God to change him and his priorities in life. And it changed him to the point that his priorities were on the worship of God and serving Him and nothing else every single day. And so he lived in and he enjoyed the blessings of God on his life. And there was nothing, there was nothing asked of him that he would not do. Listen, when we truly understand the presence and the power of God. When we have truly experienced the power of the presence of God in our lives and we understand that and we live in the blessing that He has given us, we will want to serve Him. A couple of people are going to sign up when we do a volunteer drive. Friends, when you truly understand who He is, and you truly understand what he's done for you and what he's done for your family, and you're living in and experiencing the blessings of his power and his presence, you will want to serve him. You will want to serve others. You will want to worship him. You will want to sing joyful songs. You'll want us to turn that music up just a little bit louder. Some of you are going to be ticked off when you get to heaven because the music's too loud. You'll want to worship him. The presence and the power of God changed his home. It changed his priorities. And then the third and last thing, not only do I preach better, I preach faster. We're about done. The third and last thing I believe that we can learn from this today is this. The presence and the power of God changed Obed-Edom's family. You see, not only did the presence and power of God change Obed-Edom, but now if you'll flip over to chapter 26 and verse 8, we're going to learn that 62 of his descendants followed in his footsteps, doing the exact same thing that he had done. Look at this. All these were descendants of who? Say it. Hobed Edom. 
All of these were descendants of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their relatives were capable men with the strength to do the work. Descendants of Obed-Edom, 62 in all. He not only allowed the power of God to work in his life, but because of that, because of that, he was an example to his entire family of how the presence and the power of God can change your life and what he can do in your life. And many of you know sometimes it is overwhelming when we have family members that we know that aren't in a right relationship with Jesus. You know how hard that can be. It's overwhelming when we have family members that aren't in a relationship with God. And sometimes, you know what? The best thing for us to do is to stop hitting them over the head with our Bibles. Amen? Sometimes the best thing to do is just start allowing God's presence and God's power to work through us. Just so that they might see a changed and transformed and a blessed life in us. And then when they see that, they're going to be drawn to that. Scripture says that if we'll lift him up, that he'll draw men unto him. Not if we lift ourselves up. They don't give a rip about Steve Thrasher. But they will give a rip about God if they see him in and through my life. His presence and His power. And so sometimes the best thing for us to do is just take a step back and live in His glory. Live in His presence. Live in His power. I will never forget. And you know what? I forget about everything that I've ever been told. You can ask my wife. Uh, some of you know this. The staff, I, I'm pretty sure, is, thinks I have dementia. I don't know. But I don't remember a lot. But I'm going to tell you something that I will never forget. I won't ever forget Pat Iberg. Pat Iberg, one of the saints of our church that's gone on to be with the Lord. But one time she told me a, a story about her husband, Herman. Some of you know who I'm talking about, Herman and Pat Iberg. Herman was rough. That just put him mildly. He was rough. And Pat had a burden on her heart that Herman would, would be saved and Herman would become a Christian and that God would change his life. And Pat said, you know what? I did everything on the sun. She said, I bribed him. I nagged him. She said, I I did everything that I could possibly think of to get Herman to go to church. She said, Sunday mornings, I'd get get up and I would lay out uh, his nicest uh, clothes for him to wear to church, thinking that he might get up and put them on and go with me, but he wouldn't come. He just wouldn't come. He wouldn't go. He wouldn't have anything to do with it. And she said that she had tried everything that she could to get right with God and to get in church. But she said nothing happened until one day she stepped back and said, Lord, I don't know what else to do. He's yours. (laughs) He's your problem now. I've tried everything I know to try. I'm giving him to you. I trust you and my faith is in you. And she said, when I quit trying, When I stepped back and said, God, you're going to have to do this, guess who showed up at church? Guess who we cheered on as he was baptized right there in that very baptistry? Guess whose life we celebrated as a follower of Christ one day here at the church when he had his funeral that was a celebration of a Christian man who knew where he was going to spend his eternity? And by the way, God not only transformed and changed Herman's life, 
but we have seen his family blessed and changed and serving and committed to the church. And this morning he had kids in the early service. I can't see everybody back there today, but he had grandkids in the early service. He had uh, kids in the early service. And I'll tell you how God works. Seriously, this sermon was one that I wanted to preach next Sunday to kick off our volunteer campaign, but I just felt led to, to do it today, and I didn't know why. This morning, I'm standing out in the foyer. Craig Iberg walks in, got his hands full, got a grandbaby in one arm, a baby bottle in the other arm, and he's got something under his arm. He said, come here, I want to show you something. He reached under his arm, and he pulled out a Bible and handed it to me. He said, open that up and look at it. I looked at the cover, and the Bible had a name printed at the bottom. It said, Herman Iberg. Opened it up there, and it had recorded when him and Pat had got married back in 1958, I think. And Jack Ward, I think, performed. He had it all written there. He was keeping that. He, and I flipped it back one more time, and it said, my favorite verse. My favorite verse. And I read it, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. God, you've put all this together today. And I just felt impelled. I told Craig, I said, I got, I got to write this down. And so I want to show you today Herman's favorite verse. It was Psalm 37 and verse 5. He had written there on the front page of his Bible, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. presence and the power of God not only changed Herman's life, changed his heart, changed his home, changed his priorities. It's still changing his family today, and it's still changing his church family today. I don't know, but that's a pretty good verse. Some of you may want to get that tattooed on your arm. That's a cool thing to do now, right? And You know? Our staff's talking about having an outing to where we go get tattoos. I may get that put on my arm. Herman's verse. Herman's verse. Maybe that needs to be your verse today. Obed-Edom allowed God to change his life. And in turn, God changed his home. God changed his priorities, which in turn changed his family. Friends, if we want to influence others for Jesus, first we've got to allow Jesus to influence us. To take control of us. To empower us. To fill us with his presence. My prayer every single day is that I would be filled more and more with his presence. And our response to that will always be serving Him, serving others, and worshiping Him. I love what Louis Giglio said. Some of you know who Louis Giglio is. I'm sure when he said this, he was wearing skinny jeans. But he's a great preacher. <laughs> I love this. He said this. He said, worship is our response to God. For who he is 
and what he has done. Expressed in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our words, and in our actions. Think about it. Obed-Edom could have chosen not to allow all this to happen. He could have chosen for, you know, he could have said, no, you're not, you're not dumping that off here. You're not leaving this at my house. And he could have chosen not to. He could have said, nope, you know what, I, I think I'm going to pass on that. Sounds like a lot of trouble. Sounds like it's going to take a lot of time. I, I'm busy. I got a full schedule. I, I ain't got time for this. And then responding negatively. And not having time for it. And not wanting to be bothered with it. He would have never experienced the change in his heart, in his life. And received God's blessings on him, his entire family, and all that he had. A lot of folks are that way. Too busy. Too much trouble. Ain't got time for all that. And you see, they never allow God's power to change their lives. They think they can do all their changing on their own. When in all reality, they can't. It can't be done. had a conversation with a friend of mine this week and we were talking about how it seems like we're just spinning our wheels sometimes and not really seeing the kind of fruit that we know that God would desire out of his church and out of his people and he told me this pastor friend of mine told me he said I told a young man in my church that I've been trying to convince to live for Jesus and accept him and experience this presence and this power of God and this change and this transformation in his life and in his family. He said, I've been trying to convince him. And he said, I finally just told him, listen, if I'm not doing a good enough job trying to convince you that the only way to live your life is for God, the only way you're ever going to get it right is to give your life for God. He said, if I'm not good, doing a good enough job, he said, please go somewhere else. Go somewhere else where they can convince you. Somebody else that you'll trust when I tell you that living for Jesus is the greatest decision that you'll ever make in your life. And that's kind of how I am today. If I can't convince you today, please go somewhere else. Go to someone else who can convince you the best way to live your life is with the presence of God. And the power of God in you, changing you, changing your home, changing your priorities, and changing your family. Only under God's power are we going to be able to make a difference in this world. Only under God's power are we going to be able to make a difference in our families and in our relationships. In our worship and in our lives. But the key is this 
Just like with Obed-Edom. You see, this depends on your response. It's either, nah, I think I'll pass. Ain't got time for that. Sounds like too much trouble to me. Or, will you be like over to Edom and stand in the crowd like he did and raise your hand high and say, God, pick me. God, use me. Use me for your good and your glory and your kingdom. And then experience the unbelievable blessing and goodness and power and presence of God in your life when you do and in your family and in our church. I don't know about you, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Obed-Edom before, but I want to be like Obed-Edom, amen? This morning, would you bow your heads and join me in prayer this morning? Maybe God's spoken to you, and I'm not asking you to jump up, raise your hand, and shout out, God, pick me, or God, use me. I'm just asking you to stand before God and understand this. One of these days, you're going to give a full account of how you lived your life. And I believe that full account is going to include how we raised our children. And we're going to give account. And so I'm asking you today to choose God. I'm asking you today to choose to serve Him, to worship Him, and allow His presence in your life and His power in your life to change you. See, the reason I know you have this power is because God's Word tells us over in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes, it comes with power. And when we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive that power into our lives. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, you have access to today. Don't tell me you can't do this. Maybe this morning you'd just like to come. Say, God, today that's me. I'm the one. There may just be one here today, and it may be hard for you to get up and come, but today I'm asking you to get up and come to make that decision. To accept God's presence and power into your life, into your home, and into your family today. I'm asking you to consider it today. And again, I'll say, if I can't convince you, please go somewhere else or to someone that can. I care about your soul that much. It's not about me. It's about your life and where you're going to spend eternity. Maybe this morning you'd like to come pray about something else, pray about some situation or Something that's going on maybe in your life, in your family, a friend's life, and you'd just like to come pray this morning before we dismiss. 
I invite you to come now as we close. Dear God, today I just want to thank you for the awesome reminder of who you are to me. And God, I thank you I thank you for your presence. And I thank you for the power that I can live in today. And I thank you for your presence in this church. Over a hundred years, lives and families have been changed and transformed. And today, God, I, I just pray that maybe one person here would make that commitment that Herman made years ago and they would commit everything they do to you. Trust you and you will help them. That's the word of the Lord. I pray someone would claim that in their life today. God, I pray for a mighty outpouring of your presence in churches all around this world today. If not here, there. God, we want it desperately here. At least I, I, I think we want it desperately here, God. And if there's something standing in the way of, of your presence and your power of our church, God, I, I pray that you would point it out, God. And if that's me, I, let me know. But God, I pray that there would be a revival around this land, in our church, in our community, in this world, God, that your presence and your power would ignite a movement like this world has never seen. That people would be committed to doing your good for your glory in this world, that we'd make it about your kingdom and not about our kingdoms, but your kingdom come. God, you've given us the power. You've given us the help. I pray that you would so fill us, so change us, so transform us, that we would live lives that other people would see you and know you and God, with that help, not only do we need power, but we need strength. We need wisdom. We need direction. Help us, Lord. And I pray if there's one here today that's not accepted the presence of God into their life, that today would be the day that Herman's verse would become their verse.
pray for those in our church that are hurting and going through difficult situations and are healing and taking tests and taking treatments and facing surgery in the days ahead. God, there's so much that's hard to even keep up with anymore. God, you know every situation, every need, every hurt, every pain, every appointment. Minister to the need. And again, I pray your powerful presence in each and every life. That they would know and sense that you are real and you are at work, even in the valley, most certainly in the valley. And I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing here today. I thank you for what you're going to do through this video that's going to be shared and seen by others. I believe that you're going to use your people for your good and your glory. And I pray this today in the powerful name of Jesus. And all the church said together, amen. Would you stand with me this morning as we're dismissed, reminding ourselves of who we are and what we've been called to do outside of this place. Lord, let us go out into the world in peace and dedicated to your service. Let us hold tightly to that which is good, supporting the weak, helping the needy, and honoring all people. May the strength of God sustain us. May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen. And I just want to read this verse one more time. Psalm 37, 5. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him and He will help you.